Welcome and thank you for joining us here at the Vineyard. We're going to continue on in the series we're doing called An Unshakable Foundation, taking some time to look at this amazing story. I want you to see how it fits together from beginning to end, how the Bible all fits together and what's going on and, and all the amazing things that are taking place and to know that there's some big themes that we need to be aware of. You know, and I keep telling you that, that heaven and earth overlap. Uh, and and so we, we need to quit thinking of heaven as somewhere that's, you know, a million miles away. But, but heaven and earth overlap in many, many ways. And we've, we've talked about it like in creation, the cosmic temple idea at Eden, where God dwelt with us. Heaven and earth connected. There was a place. And then the fall blew that up. And then God faithfully, you know, through the exodus, brought the people out. And then at, at a tabernacle, had make the tabernacle. And that's where heaven and earth will connect once again. And we had a place. Different, but we had that place. And then... Uh, temple, the presence of God moves into the temple for a while and heaven and earth dwell uh, there and we have that place again. And then the people go their own way and, you know, exile happens, they get dragged off to Babylon, the temple is destroyed, Jerusalem is destroyed, but the prophets begin to speak into that and they say, you know, a time is going to come when you're going to go back and you're going to rebuild Jerusalem, you're going to rebuild the temple and the presence of God will show up again. And sure enough, uh, the 70 year exile is over, they go back, they rebuild Jerusalem, they rebuild the temple, but no presence of God until what happens? Jesus arrives on the scene. And he says, you know, I, I will come and I'm going to tabernacle, tabernacle with you. It's going to be, I'm going to be the place where heaven and earth meet. I'm the temple that you've been waiting for. And then he, you know, lives his amazing life uh, perfectly sinlessly, goes to the cross on our behalf, uh, pays for our sin, dies there, defeats death, rises again, sends the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit dwells in, in us as believers and we're the place where heaven and earth meet. And, and uh, to me, that's... That's, a, that's such an amazing idea and thought that, that you could just spend the rest of your time thinking about Holy Spirit living in me, what that means. Heaven and earth connect. Wherever we go, we're carrying you know, God with us and, and uh, Jesus with us. And it's such a powerful, powerful thing. And then we look forward to the time uh, that we know about in Revelation 21 where heaven and earth join again. A new heaven comes down to renewed earth. Uh, and... Um, the resurrection that happened to Jesus happens to us and to the whole planet, in effect. And everything is back to the way it was at the beginning, this time without evil. And so that's our hope that we have to look forward to. But through it all, throughout this story, we see God moving and changing and so many fascinating things. And we need to be aware of how it fits. So as you read the scripture, then things will just pop open to you. And you go, oh, well, that's what that means. And that's why that's there. So uh, we looked at Mark chapter 1 last week, talked a little bit about the kingdom of God. We'll can keep coming that. Remember, kingdom of God, don't think of it as a place. Don't think of it as heaven. The kingdom of God is his rule and reign coming to earth. That's exactly what's going on when you read the scripture. This week we're going to hop into the gospel of Luke, another great passage. And so we're going to get there and I'm, I want to get into that. So let me do a couple of jokes and then we'll get moving. Before the invention of the wheel... Moving stuff around was a real drag. You, you probably don't know this, but I actually wanted to name our son Lance. But my wife said that was too uncommon. But you know, back in medieval days, uh, people named their sons Lance a lot. Uh, last one. My friend Jack can talk to vegetables. You see, Jack and the beans talk. Come on, my love. Rescue me once again. Lead us in the scripture and pray for us, please. 
joke just reminds me of Bob the tomato and Larry the cucumber. Veggie Tales. <laughs> we watched a lot of Veggie Tales in our day. Good morning. It's good to see you, those that are here in person and those that are here online. It's good to see you all. Let's go ahead to the Father again and pray before we read the word. Amen. Holy Spirit, come. Come again and fill our time as we dig deeper into you and into your word. Walk with us this week, Lord, as we go out into the world and live our lives. Let us recognize when you're right beside us. Father, open our eyes and open our ears. Father, and and give us that peace that allows us to move freely in you. In Jesus' name, amen. The text today is out of the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he said. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread. He gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared in their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Blessed be the word. All right, so a great passage. Um, I actually shared this with you a few months ago, but it's so powerful, and because now we've been looking at the story, I want you to see how it continues to weave in and how much of what we've been talking about is is right for us here in this passage. So uh, a couple of things as we get going. So this is uh, two disciples that are um, 
leaving Jerusalem, and they're leaving very disappointed. Let me, let me tell you what's happened is um, these two disciples, one of them is named, and, and his name is Cleopas. The other one's not named. I firmly believe it's his wife. And, and it, you don't have to believe that with me, whatever, but, but the scripture, I think, really points to that. And Luke, in the way that he writes, is, is setting up these ideas that involve couples, and so it makes more sense um, in the process. But it, it's, it's okay. But I believe it's Cleopas and his wife. They've gone to Jerusalem because they believe that this is the week when Jesus is finally going to do what they've been waiting for. He's the Messiah who's going to come and overthrow Rome. And they've been waiting for it. And they've, they've seen him now for years doing all sorts of miracles and amazing things. And all of them are convinced, remember, that a Messiah is going to come, is going to overthrow Rome. That's what they were all looking for. And it was right in that time period. It was, you know, 490 years since uh, uh, Daniel's prophecy. And, and so they were looking and false messiahs had popped up trying to start this thing and it hadn't happened. But um, they believe it's Jesus. And so they've gone to Jerusalem. And they're expecting this to happen. And... That's not what happens at all. In fact, what does happen is that Jesus is arrested and he's beaten. Uh, he goes through false trials. He's crucified. Um, he dies. He's buried, put in a tomb. Stone is rolled over it. And that's, that's what's happened. And they're shocked. They're, that was not what they expected at all. They're dismayed. They're hopeless. They've lost their hope. And they've, they've hung around for a couple of days and they decide to leave. And they're, they're walking back towards home. And one of the beautiful things here is that this is resurrection day and Jesus spends that time walking with these two disappointed disciples um, because they had lost their hope. And Jesus joins them on this journey. And I, I, I'm amazed at that. You know, it's just, it's just just happened. Resurrection has just happened. You would think there'd be a lot of things going on. And Jesus takes his time to walk with these two disciples on the road back to um, where they've come from. And so, so this is kind of the setup of the story. And remember I said that, that all the, everybody was really looking for this overthrow, and that's not what Jesus came to do. That's not how it looks. And he was telling them last week, repent and believe. It's like, quit thinking that way. You need to start thinking of it this way and understand what's going on. So let's pick up the story there. Point number one is, uh, you know, they had hoped that everything that I just talked about was going to happen. And yet, it's not what happened. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped, we had hoped, we had hoped, we had hoped that this was the one who was going to redeem Israel. He was going to put us back in our proper position like it was with David and Solomon, and that's what was going to happen. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. And that was their situation. That's how they found themselves, and Jesus comes. And, and as I said... Messiahs had come before, people who claimed to be Messiah, and Rome had a way of dealing with Messiahs, is that they would crucify them. And that would just stop it. That would just shut it down. Because there's all sorts of things that go along with that. And, you know, cursed is anyone hung on a tree. All those things are there. And so, if that was going to happen, they couldn't have been the Messiah. Um, but you can crucify false Messiahs. When you crucify the real deal, all kinds of things happen. And they just hadn't been able to see it yet. But see, what we've been talking about now is that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's scriptures. And they didn't get it at first, but now everybody's starting to get it, and they're, they're starting to write it. And Jesus is going to come to Cleopas and to his wife, and he's going to even make sure that they get it and explain it 
to them. You see, you see, the reality is, what he's going to say is that this is how it had to happen. Jesus had to come, and what he had to do was live that perfect life, and then he had to take on all the sin, all the brokenness, all the hurt, all the shame, all of the mess in the world. He had to take it all on. Not only that, he had to take death on. He had to take it all, and then he took it down with him, and he defeated it there. And then he rises again. He defeated it all there. You need to get that. Now we think because we, we're still dealing with things, but we have promise to see because the enemy's defeated but not departed. He's still trying to drag some things along. But, but there's a time when everything gets right. But the resurrection of Jesus was the, the first thing that had to happen. And because that happened, we have to know that the planet's going to be resurrected like that and so are all of us. Different change. It's going to be amazing. All right, what's coming? But it's already happened in part. At the cross. That's what's taking place. But Jesus is like, this is, this is what had to happen. And, and he explains it to him that way. Don't you understand that there had to be suffering before glory? And then he goes on and he begins to tell them how all of the scripture has been pointing at this moment and at him all along. That Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's scripture. Luke 24, 22. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning. Uh, but didn't find his body. And they came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women said. But they didn't see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. How slow to believe. How, how hard it is for you to change your way of thinking and begin to see how this story all works. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? And then enter his glory. And the next verse says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I hope that that conversation's been recorded somewhere. So that I can just hear it just once. It must have been so amazing. Now, we get bits and pieces, you know, and, and the guys were figuring it out there in the beginning. And the Apostle Paul, he gives us a lot of ideas about what's happening. And he puts it together. But we know that, you know, Genesis was in that story. And what was that? Exodus, the amazing Exodus within the story. Um, the prophets, Isaiah. We've been looking at Isaiah and, and Daniel and the things he was saying. And Ezekiel and how it's all tying together. And that all of them were pointing at Jesus all along. And we keep seeing that picture. You know, Paul makes it so clear for us and so many ways because Paul Paul was brilliant guys he you know be, before he met Jesus he was a, it was it was called a zealot which means he was all in and he was this amazing intellect and he just knew the scripture he knew it inside and out and and so when he gets you know this has this amazing encounter with Jesus he goes to Damascus and begins to preach and it's pretty cool and he goes to Jerusalem and he begins to preach there and it just heats up that community so much they actually tell Paul Paul you got to get out of here you're making it too hot for us you're making too many things happen and so Paul goes and then we don't hear him he goes back to Tarsus we don't hear from him 10 years. Then what was he doing for those 10 years? Well, what he's doing is he's taking everything that he knew, and now he's seeing it with these new filters and light, and he understands, perhaps like no one else had, everything that Jesus has done and what it means. Because at the end of 10 years, he's going to go to Antioch, which is a new church, and he's going to begin to teach, and it just explodes then all over the globe. And from there, they go out on missionary journeys. Paul gets it, and he's tying it together. And as he ties the story together, people go, oh, well, that all makes sense, and it changes their lives forever. And so all those things are happening in our story, and this had to happen. Jesus had to come the way he did. Remember, I, I've said already in this service, and we, we talked about it, 
last week about God has a timetable. And I looked at the weeks of Daniel and his years, and we were writing that timetable. Well, there's this other amazing timetable. There's a bunch of them. But there's another thing that's so cool about the story. When you have some pieces, you can look at it, and you go, oh, well, that's what's going on. And that's the seven feasts of Israel and how they tie into this whole thing. So... Um, if you were a Jewish person back in the day, if you didn't know any scripture, you knew Leviticus chapter 23. You memorized it. You knew it. Everybody knew it. Because it had in it, Leviticus 23, that one chapter, all seven feasts that the people of Israel were commanded to observe every year. And one of them, the sixth one, if they missed the sixth one, they actually got kicked out of the chosen people. And, and, and yet it's set up so that the first one, which is Passover, is given so that you would know when Passover started every year. And then you would be able to count and make sure that you hit every of the other feasts that were going on. So it was really, really important. Well, Jesus, when he comes, do you know that, that he, he comes and that the events surrounding the death and resurrection happen right on the days that they were celebrating Passover? Unleavened bread and early first fruits. Exactly on those days that happens. And that's significant. Because what I'm going to say is that of the seven feasts, and the seven feasts are Passover, uh, unleavened bread, early first fruits, Pentecost, and then trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. Four of them have been fulfilled already by Jesus and the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. And we're waiting on the other three. And let's look how he fulfills the first four and what's going on so you can see how the story is moving along. So all seven feasts, as I said, are in Leviticus 23. Um, we don't have to celebrate, as, as believers now, we're not, we're not under that same thing to celebrate. But we should know them because they're significant. And what was happening is, as they were celebrating these feasts, God was preparing them so that they would know Jesus when he arrived because they'd been looking for him all along if they could connect all the dots. Leviticus 23, 5 says, The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. So, how, how do they count themselves to there? Well, interestingly, the calendar of the people of God is a lunar calendar, not a solar calendar. We have a solar calendar that, that spins around. We count that way. But they didn't. They counted on lunar cycles because uh, lunar cycles, you can actually um, see by the position of the moon and the size of the moon. If you get used to it, you can tell what day of the month it is. But then they also know new moon very clearly, so they could go new moon and they could start counting days. And this uh, feast would start on the 14th day of the first month. And there's not a big description of Passover and Leviticus because they had just been through the Passover, the actual thing. They'd done it and everything that they celebrated uh, during the Exodus. But uh, in, in, uh, in Exodus 12, we get a little description of what was going on. Uh, the animals you choose must be year old males without defect and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they're to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Well, in the New Testament, what do we read? We read that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's, he's our Passover Lamb. John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away, what, the sin of the world. His blood will be poured out for the sin of the world. Matthew makes the point even more. Matthew 26, 27. Uh, he makes sure Jesus is saying this. He says, Then he took the cup, gave thanks, offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so just as the Jewish people put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the, past, the, the angel of death passed over, that was this. Now as believers, 
in Christ that the blood of Jesus covers us and we're passed over. We've gone from death to life. And Jesus perfectly fulfills the idea of the uh, Passover lamb because he was without sin, no defect. He, he fits that perfectly. And it happens on the exact day it's supposed to happen on the 14th day. All these things are happening in crucifixion. The very next feast is called Unleavened Bread. And it begins on the next night. Leviticus 23 says, On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's Feast of Unleavened Bread begins for seven days. Uh, you must eat bread made without yeast. Now, Jesus is the bread of life. John 6, 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So, so Jesus is buried at the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. His body was put in the tomb at the sundown of Passover. Now, they not only have a lunar calendar, but their days start after sunset, not like ours do at sunrise. So here we see another amazing fulfillment. There's another scripture that says Jesus is like a, a wheat, a kernel of wheat. It's a bread connection. It's until it's buried and sprouts, it doesn't make a difference. All these things are tying into Jesus. Well, the next feast is called early first fruits or first fruits. And it's to be observed the day after the Sabbath. So we have our days following up and uh, into the, into the um, earth, you know, what we would call Friday evening, but the beginning. Nothing happens all day Saturdays, we know. And then Sunday is the day after the Sabbath. And that was the day for early first fruits. Uh, and uh, Leviticus 23 says, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you, and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain of your harvest. And he's to wave the sheaf before the Lord, and so it will be accepted on your behalf. And the priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. That would be Sunday. We know something that happens on Sunday. Uh, Jesus is actually perfectly fulfilling that feast as well. Paul makes this connection. For as in Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive. Coming back to that part of that verse in just a second. But listen, but each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits. And then when he comes, those who belong to him. And then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. In fact, Jesus actually presents this little early sheaf wave to the Lord in this weird passage that's in Matthew 27 that's very hard to explain while it's there unless you know how it's tying into the feast. I don't know if you've ever read it, but at the moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. It's a celebration of early first fruits. It's the first harvest, the very first one. It's a very small one, but here comes, and that's got to be a wild thing. We don't even really know how it all fits in there. You just kind of got to go, um, wow, wow. But, but three feasts, perfectly fulfilled to the day by Jesus. The fourth one, Pentecost. Well, we know what happens, right? Fifty days later, they're hanging out in a room, the Holy Spirit shows up. And, and Pentecost is sort of another harvest festival. And, and the Holy Spirit comes on that day and he fills it. And what happens to the church? The church goes from basically 12, maybe 100, to 3,000. It's another harvest. As Peter steps up and preaches about what's going on, and it's thousands are added that day. It's a picture. So now we've got four of the seven fulfilled. Three to go. They haven't happened yet. 
Next one is trumpets. Trumpets is the one at the end of the harvest. So we're in a harvest season right now. That's what we're doing. When Jesus said, hey, the harvest is ripe, you know, get harvesters out there. That's our time. We don't know when he's coming back. We don't know that, but we know that he's coming back. And, you know, it's even more assured because um, the four of the seven are already fulfilled. We've seen it happen. So we know he's going to do these three. It's just a matter of when. And we're in a season of harvest. I think that, that, gives, that excites me. See, that's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for Jesus to come back at trumpets and he's going to take care of everything. And then atonement happens, and that, there's a lot that goes on with that. That last one now, when I tell you that last one, I'm hoping it connects with you into the story. You know what that last one's called? Tabernacles. What's a tabernacle? It's a place where heaven and earth meet. What happens in Revelation 21? Heaven and earth meet forever. Tabernacles. That's what we're waiting for. That's what's coming. Trumpets, atonement, tabernacles. Woo! He's coming. But we've got work to do. It's a harvest. So what do we do? We harvest. We get out there led by the Spirit. We do it. Now listen, let me give you one last story. So this is a powerful connection in here too. I like to call it supper to supper to supper. Because um, as Jesus is walking with them, he says he's going to go farther, but they invite him into the house, which is, you know, Jesus isn't going to force himself on anybody, but you invite him in and he'll come. You open the door, he comes in, and uh, he's happy to come in and have dinner with them. And he sort of takes over and he leads a communion supper and that's significant so when he's at the table with them he took bread gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight something happens as they celebrate communion which is really important now there's another couple that has a completely different experience but it ties into the story and that's Adam and Eve, back at the time of the fall, Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her. Don't take Adam off the hook. They were together in this whole thing. And he ate it. That's the fall. That's the beginning of sin. That's the beginning of everything going south. All of the bad stuff that you can imagine. Everything in life that's hurtful. All of the suffering. All of the tears. All of the bloodshed. All of the sickness. All of the illness. The cruelty. Everything that comes that we experience now comes from that simple beginning. Death is introduced. All the mess that happens. And, and it's about they, they took, they ate, they gave. Three verbs are describing the, the worst possible event that we have in history. It's the beginning of sin and the fall of of man and you see those three words describing them well that's a supper now the next supper that i'm talking about is the last supper and jesus is there with this one we come to the new testament here jesus initiates a new covenant he's the second adam paul calls him so just make the connection what does he do matthew 26 26 while they were eating jesus took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to his disciples said take and eat this is my body he takes the bread he blesses it he breaks it this is my body, take and eat. And, and here's this amazing thing that he's happening. The echo here is, is profound. Take, eat, give. He, he's going to restore everything by doing the opposite of sort of what happened there in the beginning at the fall where it was take, eat, and give. He uses the very same verbs by which we fell and he's going to take that and he's going to restore us. For as an Adam all die, that's what happened. So in Christ... All will be made alive. That's what he's doing. What Jesus is doing is beautiful. He's correcting 
everything that happened that was hurtful in Adam. Remember I told you, the prophet said, God was going to come as king. What was he going to do? Set everything right. And that's the picture of Jesus. And he's coming and he's giving us all these things that are happening. And he's doing it there. Even in these suppers, that, that first one was the destruction of everything. But the last supper that happens when Jesus comes, it's the restoration of everything. It's the beginning that you begin to see what's taking place. That, that Jesus is correcting all of the hurtful stuff that happened in Adam. But now he's going to do something else at this other supper, this one that happens at Emmaus. And it's so cool when you see it. You remember, we're going to go back at the Emmaus verses in a minute. Their eyes were open and everything changed. Well, look, he's tying this in too. Back in Genesis 3 at the fall, after they ate the fruit they weren't supposed to eat, the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings. When they, when they did it, all of a sudden, everything fell apart and they knew it. And everything in that moment changed. They opened their eyes and they realized that they'd sinned. And this shame came just flying down on them. The brokenness, the weight of it all. But now Jesus, at the Emmaus Supper, with this other couple, he says when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. We see this whole picture happening again. Then what? Then their eyes were opened... And they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. See, their eyes were open, and suddenly they knew Jesus, the one who takes away shame and guilt. The one who restores everything. And everything changed. All of a sudden, their hope is restored. They get it. And we know that they get it so much because they can't stay. They're at night now at their home, and it's a dangerous journey back to Jerusalem. They said, we don't care. We're going back to tell everybody what's happened. See, it changes their lives. And they want to go and tell everybody this amazing news that happens. It's this, it's this picture picture of the new Passover meal that we get to celebrate now, that it's, it's redemption is now available to us in Christ. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Supper to supper to supper. So tie that into the seven feasts again. And everything is happening now and how it's all moving together and what's happening in the story and what it means to you. And that we live in this amazing time between the fourth and the fifth feast and Holy Spirit has come, hallelujah, at Pentecost. I'm so glad we have Holy Spirit with us. He empowers us, He leads us, He guides us, He teaches us everything that we need in this time of harvest until we have the end of this hump harvest season. Trumpets, atonement, tabernacles, heaven and earth, together forever. Us dwelling with God forever. So amazing. That's the story that you live in. That's your story. His story is your story. It ties us together forever. So, check that out. Next week, we're going to look at Matthew 28. If you want to get ahead, you can read that and get ready for that. Um, we want to pray for you, Alice. Why don't you come up? And you know, we can't do ministry time on the wall, so we, we just want to take a moment here at the end. And just uh, invite Holy Spirit to come and minister to you right where you're at. And, and, uh, and so, let's just do that. Holy Spirit, would you come? We, we know that you come in, in power. And you... You have everything that we need. And I pray you would just move among us and, and just settle on our hearts. And Lord, meet us right at the point of our need. Lord, there, there are those who are rejoicing today. Rejoice with them. There are those who are hurting today. Let us, you know, comfort them, God. You comfort them by your presence here. Bring healing into our lives. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, whatever the need might be, just meet us at those places which you're so amazing to do. Come in power. Have your way in us. Have your way in us. 
Thank you, Jesus. Just feel like the Lord showed me there's probably more than one of you or many of us that are might feel a little depressed lately. And you feel like your strength has gone. But the picture that I got when I was praying about it was I saw the Lord singing over you as you, as you sleep. And he's giving you a scripture. And if, you, if it feels like it pertains to you, write it down. It's Zephaniah 3.17. I'm not going to read it here. But the Lord wants you to know that you will rise again and you will sing with him. Amen. I love that thought that, that he sings over us. Uh, he loves us so much that he sings over us. He cares for us. His eyes are on us. That's such a powerful thought. You know, the, uh, one of the songs we were singing, how, how amazing is it that the, the, the one who does it all loves a fool like me. Uh, an, an amazing love. And that he, he loves us and sings over us and wants the best for us. So, so drink that in today. You're an awesome God. Everything that we talked about here, it all starts by asking Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And, and it's the best decision you'll ever make. He's done all the work for us on the cross. Our part is just to come receive and believe. Jesus, will you be my Lord and Savior? And, and if you will do that, do it right now. Just that simple. Jesus, will you be my Lord and Savior? And, and if you do that, let me know. Text that word heart to me at that number just so we can celebrate with you. And, and uh, welcome to the story. It's an amazing story and a best journey there is. Thank you again so much for your generosity, folks, and for uh, just your continued blessing uh, and, and uh, your faithfulness in the kingdom of God and all that that means. And, and uh, so thank you, those of you who've been giving online, digitally, and mailing in uh, your offering, offering boxes are here for those of you here. And uh, thank you for, for continuing to be such a generous group. Praise God from whom all bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. Go today in the peace, the power, and the love of God. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. We'll see you soon. Thanks for watching online. If you're leaving the facility, please go out. These doors are open for you so you don't have to touch anything. Make sure you don't get bunched up there on your way out. Keep that six-foot thing going all the way out. Uh, Have a great week. We'll see you soon. God bless you guys. Thanks for watching today's service from Keys Vineyard Community Church. Make sure to like us on Facebook and subscribe to us on YouTube. For more information, log on to keysvineyard.com. We'll see you next time.